Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Um, hi again, my name is Debbie. I am a grateful recovered sexaholic um, in Tennessee. And um, before I jump into my story, I just wanted to read a couple paragraphs from the big book on, uh, not the big book, I'm sorry, the white book on page 40 and 41. It says, why in step one do we say we are powerless over lust instead of sex? Is not some form of sex what we are addicted to? Yes, we answer, but our problem is not simply sex. Just as in compulsive overeating, the problem is not simply food. Eating and sex are natural functions. The real problem in both of these addictions seems to be what we call lust, an attitude demanding that a natural instinct serve unnatural desires. When we try to use food or sex to reduce isolation, loneliness, insecurity, fear, tension, or to cover our emotions, make us feel alive, help us escape, or satisfy our God hunger, we create an unnatural appetite that misuses and abuses the natural instinct. It is not only more intense than the natural, but becomes something totally different. Eating and sex enter a different dimension. They possess an unnatural spiritual component. The addiction is thus to lust and not merely to the substance or physical act. Lust, the attitude itself, becomes the controlling factor in the addiction. This may be why people exhibit lust in more than one area. Often those of us addicted to substances or forms of behavior discover we are also addicted to negative attitudes and emotions. Um, again, I'm Debbie. And um, to share what it was like and what happened and what it's like now, um, I'm 46 years old. I was born in Massachusetts. Um, got a mom, a dad, and two older brothers. Um, when I was three, we moved to Kentucky. Um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and she was addicted to at least four soap operas that she watched, still watches, every single day. Um, my dad was a workaholic, and he worked in corporate America. And both of my brothers, um, well, let's see, I've got two brothers, and I've had eight sister-in-laws. So I think it's safe to say there's probably some uh, sexual intimacy disorder in their lives. So that's kind of the life I grew up in. Um, when I was in first grade, I had a boyfriend, um, or so he said he was. He was older than me. Um, he sexually molested me and, of course, told me not to tell anybody. So I didn't. And I just thought that's what boyfriends and girlfriends do. It's certainly what it looked like on the soap operas anyway. Um, so I had lots of boyfriends, actually, and um, all through elementary school and middle school. And um, I had another experience when I was in fifth grade. Um, my grandfather French kissed me and I didn't understand what was going on. I just knew something felt weird. 
So I did tell my parents, but um, their solution was to just stay away from him, that he was going to be moving out of town soon. And that's about all that was ever said about it. I was never really given a place to talk about that. Um, so I learned in that in through that experience not to um, not to talk about my emotions, that it wasn't safe. They were going to be ignored and not acknowledged. Um, let's see. I was. Again, I had lots of boyfriends. I was boy crazy. I was a big flirt. But um, I also had the fear of God put into me by my aunt. Um, She told me not to have sex before I was married, that that was like a a huge sin and not to do that. So I tried to use that as my moral compass. Um, But then in high school, I was 15 and I met my now husband. Uh, We started dating. And about a year later, we had sex. And I thought, okay. I've just got to marry him. That's all I need to do. As long as I marry him, I'm going to be okay. Um, and and I did. We thank God. He loved me. I loved him. We still do. And um, we got married. And then everything's going to be perfect. So I thought. Um, I also, that was in my, that was 15. So close 16, 17 years old, I started work. And I went to work for a woman who was much older than me. Um, she was, um, that relationship morphed into a toxic enmeshment. It was very weird. There was a lot of, um, grooming, uh, predatorial behavior. Um, I was manipulated emotionally, mentally, sexually. It was just really confusing. And that was early in my marriage too, um, Finally, I got away from that relationship when my husband and I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. That was in 1999. And thankfully, this allowed me enough distance to see that that was a really messed up relationship. Um, And I got away from that. My husband and I had some healing. And then we decided to start a family. And that was a natural high for me. Having babies was amazing. And for about five years, um, everything was golden in my opinion. Um, but then dun, 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 the other shoe dropped and, um, my, on my husband's side of the family, he had a relative pass away. And during that event, um, it came out that my husband had been sexually molested by that relative for the majority of his childhood. And that was huge. That was, he had never told anybody, he shared it with me and it was just him and I that had that secret. So, um, oh, it was just, it was just an unearthing of lots of feelings and emotions and all that stuff, nasty stuff. So, um, my husband chose to dig his heels into work and he got really busy with work. I chose to deal with it with sex. And first I started with my husband. I just, um, basically, um, acted out with him and I'm looking at my notes, making sure I don't forget anything. Sorry. Um, it it was just kind of experimentation between us pushing the envelope. I tried to bring porn into the marriage and then he, um, just dug into work more. And then I felt completely rejected and we emotionally disconnected. The more, um, I felt his rejection, the more it pushed me into porn, which just took on a life of its own. And before long, I was looking for acceptance outside my marriage. Um, 
I was not only sleeping with people outside my marriage, I was engaging on um, sex sites, chat sites, swapping photographs, videos, phone calls, all that stuff. It escalated so fast and it took me under, I mean, it was so dangerous and I had no idea what I was doing. I was hooking up with strangers and having unprotected sex. Um, And in my best thinking, I thought that was a pretty good arrangement. My husband could go to work. I could take care of my needs sexually outside of using him. And then when he came home, I could have dinner done and all that. So that worked for like two seconds um, before I (laughs) realized this. I mean, I was exhausted. I was up almost 24 hours a day. As soon as everybody would go to sleep, I'd get online. As soon as everybody would leave, I would leave or I would have people over. It was was just nonstop and it was exhausting. And definitely I didn't have control anymore. Um, Page 57 of essay says, left to our own devices, the prognosis is dismal. And I would say my prognosis was pretty dismal at that point. Um, My husband did discover my online activities So we only discovered some of what was going on and we started counseling. Um, That didn't do much to help, though, because I was so in over my head and um, I really did try to stop. I absolutely love my husband and my children and I did not want to keep hurting them, um, but I couldn't stop either. So, again, I tried to come up with a good solution Um, I dropped my kids off with a neighbor one day and I left town and I turned off my phone and I tried to disappear. Um, After three days, I had a moment of weakness and I turned my phone on and it blew up with texts and messages from my husband, my family, my brothers, some friends. Um, And then it rang within just a few seconds. It rang, of course. And in the emotionally unstable state that I was in, I answered it. My husband was on the phone and he wouldn't let me hang up until three hours later when he pulled up beside me in his car and took me home. He was a very good codependent those days. And even though um, that's not how we operate today, I'm grateful for how this played out in our story. Um, Through God's goodwill and good counsel, we found our way into recovery I stepped into the rooms of SA in November 2008, and it was so scary. It was not easy. All of you know that, I'm sure. Um, And it says in our solution, all this was scary. I couldn't see the path ahead, except that others had gone that way before. Each new step of surrender felt it would be off the edge into oblivion, but I took it. And instead of killing me, surrender was killing the obsession. I had stepped into the light, into a whole new way of life. And I wish that's where it ended, you know, tie a bow on it and say that was done. But that was 13 years ago. And a lot has happened since then. Um, I was in recovery. I was in SA for two years before I had a relapse and I had sex outside my marriage again. Um, And it was worse than ever. My disease definitely progressed. And it was the rumors are true. It was absolutely horrific. I had tried to um, rest on my laurels, I think. I think after two years, I kind of thought I had it figured out. And um, I had a, I had had a sponsor and I was working the steps, but then my sponsor lost her sobriety and I thought, oh, I've got this. And um, then life on life's terms happened and my husband left the country for business. My kids went to summer camps and then my parents came into town all at the same time. 
and those feelings and emotions that I had just not quite really dealt with yet in recovery took over and I just couldn't, I, I couldn't deal with it. So I tried to find my own solution. I went out for about two weeks um, and, and it was also, I think, it, I don't know if you've heard this in recovery or not, but um, it's, they've pissed in my Cheerios. I mean, as they had pissed in my Cheerios, like acting out was not even fun. I had had enough recovery to know this wasn't the answer but yet I didn't ha- have the habit changed. I didn't have the, um, I didn't have the tools. I hadn't used them enough for those to be a natural thing yet. So it was a really ugly time, but um, I did go to meetings during that two weeks. I knew to keep coming back, even though I was messing up, um, I knew to come back. And so I brought my body and I sat in those chairs and I got on my knees every morning crying Um in pain, not understanding what was going on. But I said the 11th step prayer every morning. And as soon as my living room (laughs) calmed down enough, I got a sponsor and I started working the steps again. I did everything, she said. Um, And I, I worked all the steps. I worked them consistently and I was going to the meetings. Um, just like page 158 in the white book says, meetings, 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 meetings. Just keep bringing the body. Work the steps, work the steps, work the steps, work the steps, work the steps. And that's what I did. And I got sober and I've not acted outside my marriage since June of 2011. Uh, but it doesn't end there. Again, um, I did continue to um, work with my sponsor and sponsor others, do service work. But um, I got, um, I had my teenage son started exhibiting behaviors of um, an addict. And so my sponsor suggested I go to another 12 step fellowship, Al Anon. Um, I didn't want to go because we all know the Anons are crazy. Um, my husband's an anon, like, you know, that's, that's, that's the other side, (laughs) but it also made sense. And I think I had enough growth in the program to know that there's a little bit of that crazy in me. I'm both, you know, I'm not just an addict. I can be a great codependent too. So I followed her suggestions and I went to the meetings and I told them, I don't like being here. I don't belong here. I don't know who you are. (laughs) You're not my family, but, um, Again, meetings, 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 just keep bringing the body. And so that's what I did. I kept going to meetings and then my sponsor suggested I get a sponsor in those meetings. And so I did. And then I started to work the steps. Um, my um, my sponsor, I would think I would, I would be going through such gut-wrenching things with my son that I thought, I'm going to call my sponsor and tell her what's going on. And they're going to have to have a meeting about this. Like, this is over the top. Nobody's ever dealt with this. He's He is just off the charts. So I would call my sponsor and I would, in Al-Anon, and I would um, tell her what's going on. And I'm like, certain they're going to have to get everybody together and have a group conscience. And nobody's ever had to deal with this before. And with loving gentleness, Every single time my sponsor said, I went through that exact thing with my son too. And I just felt immediate relief. Like, oh my gosh, you mean this isn't just me? This is somebody else has gone through this and survived? Like, how are you so put together? And you seem like you got it all together and I'm in shambles over here. 
but it was the gift of the program. And so I was able to find in that program the support that I needed to um, to get through this hard time with my son. Um, he ended up going to treatment at age 19. And I am so grateful for the SA, the SNON, the AA, the Al-Anon programs, because that's how we figured out where to send our son. That's how we figured out what kind of treatment he needed. Um, we are so grateful to live so close to Nashville, and there are so many amazing people here that can help with recovery. We were able to send him to a place that didn't just deal with his issue. They had they dealt dual not dual diagnosis and that really got to the root of what was going on. We kind of sensed, you know, there's got to be something more going on in there. So um, thankfully we were able to get him to a great treatment center. However, um, oh, and I had the best night's sleep ever when he was in treatment. Like I knew where he was and I could sleep at night, but, um, but I still had fear because that's, you know, okay. I'm always waiting for the next shoe to drop. And my thought was, um, what if he comes out of this and he doesn't stay sober? I mean, I'm, you know, reality check. I'm in rooms with people every day who, who aren't able to stay sober. I wasn't able to stay sober. What if he comes out and loses it? And again, that support of being in the other side of the, of the line, I guess it's really not another side I've discovered. It's all the same really. But, um, but I discovered that, you know, he's going to be okay that um, I had to let go. I had to let God and God doesn't have grandchildren. My son is a child of God, just like I'm a child of God and God's got him just like he had me. So um, I was able to continue to work the steps in that program and he came out of treatment. Um, He was there for about 60 days and he came out I mean, I couldn't have ever expected such a blessing. Um, And I'm so fortunate. I know not all stories go this way and we're not done. Like this is so recent, but um, he did come out sober. He came out a changed person. And I'm confident today, even though that fear tries to creep into my head, I'm confident to know that he's got the tools. He now knows, like, just like me, when I relapsed, I still knew I got to get to that meeting. I got to get to that meeting. I got to hit my knees and he's going to have, he ha- he now has those tools too. Um, so that was amazing. He just celebrated two years sobriety last month. So I am, I'm trying really hard to not emotionally connect or I'm just going to fall apart and boohoo right here. So, <laughs> um, but that is a gift beyond that I could have never imagined um, my story going through what I went through. And thank God I found 12-step recovery and that my husband found 12-step recovery and that we were able to give that gift to our child. Um, And the story is just not over. It's still not over. So um, he got out of treatment and I continued in Al-Anon, working the steps and uh, doing service and all those things. Um, But then the next storm was coming and we all got affected by this one. It was the COVID storm. Was that my time? Yes, five minutes. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. So um, COVID arrived and um, I'm just going to speed through my timeline of what happened with that. We all have our stories. It's crazy, crazy. And it's big. Like 
I haven't been in a face-to-face meeting since before COVID and y'all, I'm just dying. Um, it's, it's so hard to not be able to connect with my family of choice. Um, but you know, God is good through all that too. So here's what happened with, with my life. Um, in March, just before COVID hit here in Nashville, my husband was scheduled to have two back surgeries within two weeks. So I took off work to help take care of him. The night of his first surgery, which went well, but the night of that first surgery, a tornado hit in Nashville, Tennessee. So that was a lot going on. The next week, COVID hit. His surgery was rescheduled or it was actually put on hold until July. Of course, we didn't know that then. We just were, his his surgery is going to be put off. So I didn't go back to work for eight months. And I am isolated. I'm isolated. I'm trying to do Zoom meetings and they help, but they're awkward. I mean, they're still awkward, but they were really awkward in the beginning. Um, And I'm trying to take care of my husband. He's trying to recover. He's home all the time. My daughter's home all the time. She didn't even finish school. So all three of us are in the house together and there's lots of emotions and feelings that come up. So I'm like, okay, how am I going to deal with this? And even though I was trying to grasp to the program tools, I grasped another tool and that was food. Um, I didn't, I didn't realize that I was overeating, but there's some fear. Now that I look back, I had a lot of fear of what if I can't get groceries? What if I can't get? So I would buy extra and I got the sugar bug really, really bad. So I started eating lots and lots of sugar every single day. And I went to the doctor in August of 2020 and my A1C1 was, or my A1C was like a skyrocket number. My doctor said, you're officially diabetic and I'm going to put you on insulin. And I was pretty shocked. I'm like, what? I'm, I'm in recovery. I don't, I don't have that. (laughs) I don't have diabetes. I'm, I'm healthy. I'm actually healthier than I've ever been. But um, that didn't change the fact that um, those numbers were as high as they were. So I, it took me about two weeks to process that, to accept that and to pull my head out of my ass. Um, but I finally got to a point where I could look at the seriousness of this part of my story. I'm going to, I want to hurry up, but I'm going to read this last part so I can get it in. Um, both of my parents started insulin in January of 2020. So I was shocked to think that I was already to that level where I needed insulin too. Um, My mom's dad died from diabetes after having toes amputated, then his foot and finally his entire leg. My dad's sister died at age 59 from diabetes. I had watched her as a child eat compulsively, gain gross amounts of weight and become immobile. And she would also abuse her insulin like she would inject herself through her clothing. And she died um, unnecessarily because she abused her body. So um, I took it pretty serious and I thought, well, how am I going to? What am I going to do? How am I going to do this? Well, I'm going to work the 12 steps in another program. So I went to my first OA meeting in September of 2020. And I went from, hi, my name is Debbie. I'm a grateful recovered sexaholic to, hi, my name is Debbie. And I'm a compulsive eater who is recovering. And I still don't really know what the sobriety definition is in OA. I know I hear the word abstinent a lot. Um, I'm still trying to figure it out. But I've, it worked for me in SA. It worked for me in Al-Anon. It's going to work for me in OA too. I know. I know because I've seen my higher power work it together. So um, I'm trying to figure it out. I got a sponsor. 
I am going to call her after this meeting and work my step 11 with her today. Um, I go to two Zoom meetings a week, and then I um, listen to a meeting every day. I'm listening to a podcast, a big book study right now that's just blowing my mind. But what I have found in all of these things is my solution, my solution doesn't work. I'm powerless. My solution doesn't work for sex. It doesn't work for um, controlling my child. And it doesn't work with food because I ended up in the doctor's office and him telling me that, you know, I'm going to have to be on insulin. So I've got to find another solution. And I thank God that I've got the 12 steps to do that with today. And it really does apply across the board because it's all grounded in the big book and the big book has the answer. So I'm going to say this last thing and then um, I will finish up. I am, I went back to the doctor. My A1C dropped two points. I also lost 30 pounds, which I wasn't even trying to do. And he took me off of three medications. That was all this past December. I've been able to maintain that, but I really only think that that's God doing for me what I cannot do myself. Absolutely cannot do that myself. Um, in the big book, it says, for if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. So I say it again, meetings, 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 just keep bringing the body, work the steps, work the steps, work the steps, work the steps, work the steps. This is not a program for people who need it or for people who want it, but who do it. This is a program of action. My action is working the steps daily, especially steps 10, 11, and 12. My action is enlarging my spiritual life daily. And my action today is sharing with you. Thank you. I'm John, I'm a sexaholic. Thank you, Debbie, for sharing. I'm also from Nashville, as you can see. I'm not in the portal. This is a really good background. Uh, the um, I'm also a diabetic. Um, and uh, I've, I'm not a member of OA, but I, I expect I may eventually find myself in OA. I know member, many members of SA who are in OA. It's been very helpful to them in a lot of ways. Um, and as we all know from hearing Harvey speak, he talks about diabetes all the time and as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an analog to, to addiction because it's something that we have to do every day. You know, I have to take my medicine every day whether I want to or not. I used to be on insulin now. I'm, I'm not. There are other drugs now for that too. Not to get too specific in diabetes, but um, I, when I was, uh, I came back in recovery almost two years ago, having known I was a sexaholic since uh, since 18 years ago, um, uh, but not in recovery. I, um, um, with my diabetes, I, I had a lot. Of, I experienced a lot of uh, denial of my diabetes, and my diabetes got really uh, unmanaged, and and I decided it didn't really matter because I probably would be dead in five years anyway. I, I sort of lost the will to live in a way, uh, lost the will to fight. Um, and uh, so I'm grateful now that my diabetes is much, is much better managed. And, and being in recovery from my sexual addiction, um, I think, has a lot more to do with that than anything else, is that I've, I've regained my will to live um, and my will to, to have a quality of life for myself and those who love me. So I'm grateful to be today in a room of people who love me. And thanks for sharing again, Debbie. John. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Uh, Shipra? Hi, Shipra Sexaholic. Um, 
I had a question. I recently lost 4.5 months of my recovery and I did not admit to it for almost 10 days and I'm sober 10 days now. Uh, I was just got too attached to the recovery because um, I was doing, for the first time in my recovery, I was doing it without a sponsor and I know it for four months, 4.5 months felt like 4.5 years. And uh, so I was just too attached. I was like, oh my God, never no no i cannot reset i just cannot reset so my question to is uh, in the end i uh after completing four months from that day itself i felt a lull and i could describe it but i did not know how to break the spell uh stop myself from spiraling down uh, there was some resentment against my mother i thought in the step work i had fourth step i addressed it but uh, then probably not and this time i was just telling myself no i will not let go of it uh, and i forgot the program that i'd learned in four years and uh, it was just too strong for me to let go and since then after that i tied myself down by uh, listening to trying to listen to the music that gave me the hallucination of my ex And uh, so my question to you is how to stop, how to give up the desire to lust because I've been trying for long. Thank you. Is that directed to me? Okay. Okay. Um. to give up the desire of lust. I had to, for me, I had to bring the body first. And even though I didn't like it or understand it, I had to keep taking the actions and then my heart caught up. And I would say it takes a while. For me, definitely, it, it wasn't until after I had relapsed two years in. So buckle up, buttercup, and get to work and take the actions. That's what worked for me. Work in the steps going to meetings, having a sponsor and sponsoring others. Those are all secondary to the spiritual connection because in the end, I think God takes it away. That's all I got. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you, Debbie. Okay. Kawi uh, sent me a message to read her question out loud to Debbie because she's not alone in the room. So I'm going to do that first because she sent a text uh, pretty early. Um, so Kawi sent you, Debbie. Thank you so much. I love how you carried the message to your son and now is in recovery. My friend's nephew exhibits signs of an essay. The boy is 12 and has been caught acting out with girls and even animals. Now that you have mentioned about S-Anon, should I tell them about it or about SA? Um. That's a really good question. And I, my experience is um, Al-Anon helped me know where my side of the street was with my son. I didn't want to overreact. I didn't want to underreact. And I had to have somebody guide me through that. So that's where Al-Anon and an Al-Anon sponsor helped. Um, I would imagine S-Anon would be the same way and helpful, but Yeah, try six meetings of each and see if that fits. And if you need outside help, you need outside help to kind of navigate that too. Okay, thank you, Debbie. Um, Nancy. 
Yeah, thanks, Natalie, and, and thanks, Debbie, so much for your share. Quick question. Um, you had a, a phrase, uh, essay is not for the ones who want it. And then I want, I want you to say the phrase again, and then if you'd like to expand on it, that's fine, but I, I don't remember the rest of it. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I wish I could take credit, but no, I got it from, actually, I don't, because I don't want that kind of pressure, but I got it from a um, someone I heard at a con- an OA convention, and um, they just said that, let me find it. Okay. Sorry. There it is. OA. Well, this is not a program for people who need it or for people who want it, but who do it. I like that because I don't always want it with the food. With sex was a little different. That my ass was on fire and that was just batshit crazy. But with the food, I still, I'm still struggling to, I mean, I have to eat. I have to eat every day. So I love that this relieves me of the pressure to, you know, I don't have to want it. I just got to show up and do it. And for the last nine months, it's been working. I mean, I'm, that's what I feel. So um, it's not a program for people who need it or for people who want it, but who do it. This is a program of action. Thank you very much. Thanks. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Debbie, for sharing. Um, I thought it was immense. For me, it was immensely clear, but also immensely honest. Yeah, you gave like a long story with details and and you, you, you really showed yourself. So I'm very grateful for that. And uh, unfortunately or fortunately, I'm also in a couple of programs. Uh, my latest one is now under Ernest Anonymous. And uh, I'm really shocked by it. I wasn't DA, but I saw that, I'm, that I identify more with UA than DA. And it, I, I'm really shocked by it. I'm 53 and I'm not able to make money and, or to... to yeah, it's very shocking, um, and I'm on, I'm just at the at the at the doorstep of that program now, looking for a sponsor. But uh, every time I know that it is giving me something, but it's also like every time, oh, another another load of work. Yeah, I've already enough to do just by staying sober in SA and doing my service here and all that stuff, and just trying to to live life and be married and. Um, so my question to you is, how do you do it when you have when you go into another program? How do you get over your maybe your resistance or overwhelm overwhelmingness in the beginning, if any? Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, it's I don't have a great answer for that. Um, I do have I have to have a sponsor. I don't necessarily have to have two sponsors, but I have to have a sponsor. Somebody has to know my every move (laughs) or be, or I need to be willing to have someone that I can share every move with that helps to keep me grounded. Um, The steps just cross every line. Once we push past the symptoms, because another thing I've learned is sex wasn't the (laughs) sex, wasn't the problem. Sex was the solution. Mm -hmm. Food isn't the problem. 
Food is my solution. My problem is my emotions and my feelings that I haven't dealt with. And the steps help me learn how to deal with it. They help me get my street clean. And then 10, 11, and 12 help me to keep it clean. So once I get past all the steps up to 10, 11, and 12, I just got to do 10, 11, and 12. The symptoms will take care of themselves, whether it's food, sex, money, drugs, whatever. Um, I really, that's what I really feel and believe is happening for me is that these are the tools for me to live an adult life and they apply no matter what my, my ism is. I hope that helps. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Debbie. Yes. Jenna. Hi, I'm Jenna. I'm sexaholic. I just wanted to say thank you, Debbie. And I have, you know, it's always great to hear your own story when you come to meetings. And uh, I just really appreciated, uh, like, like other people have said, how open and honest you were. Um, and I just, for me, wanted just wanted to say out loud, I really do for the, for my Al-Anon sort of stuff, I really do see there's such an overlap with that, that focus on other people, that focus on that something some connection outside of myself is where the, is where connection is. And um, I'm so, it's so painful. I like how in essay we, we talk about exposing the roots of our spiritual emptiness and hunger so the healing can begin. And I know for me, um, a lot of that does have to do with that early stuff and, and, and what I grew, I grew up in a lot of, in alcoholism and sexaholism, all the, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a non and an addict. Um, and I just appreciated you. Uh, I, I understood what you said too about um, there's no line, you know, it's, it's the disease and we're all affected by it in a myriad of ways, growing up in it, doing it ourselves. I mean, for me, it's every angle, uh, but it's one disease and one solution, like you said too. So just thank you so much. That's all. Thank you, Jenna. Juan Carlos. Thank you, Natalie. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Debbie, uh, for your share, your humbly share. Uh, I relate a lot with uh, finding the solution in different paternities and also in SA. And I should be perhaps in, in CODA and CODA because I think I have these uh, also traits. But uh, my question is, uh, I had two sons. One is 27 and the second is the 22. Just all, I found my first son uh, when he was uh, 16 in his computer, a lot of explicit uh, videos, uh, photos of himself, uh, I suppose, for shame. Uh, well, I deleted. Uh, I, I didn't do anything more until I made my amends uh, two years ago with him. Uh, now he's living with his uh, girlfriend. Uh, but the second one, he's, he's living at home. and He lives in his room almost the whole day. Uh, working, studying, uh, playing, because he has a deception with a uh, former uh, girlfriend. So now he's almost isolated. How did you find, this is my question, how did you find find that your son has a problem with sex or with addiction? Because I was, I am very uh, intrigued. And also, I feel uh, 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 guilty of of my sons because perhaps they have got the the same disease. Thank you. Thank you, Juan Carlos. Um, Well, I fortunately hung out in a room with a lot of sexaholics, so I could recognize the behavior pretty easily um, 
in my kids. And if you spot it, you got it. So it was kind of like, oh, wow, I can, I'm picking up on some stuff. Um, but what helped was um, straight off the bat, we're not going to have secrets in our family. And so um, at an age appropriate level with both of my children, they know, they know what, what happened. They know why mommy left those few days. They know they are part of the recovery process. And um, I let them, I let them tell me how much they want to know or need to know because they really don't need more information than they don't need as much information as I think they do. So Al-Anon really helped me decide if I needed to, you know, is this just a normal teenage thing? How does it, if it becomes a problem, how do I address it with them? Having the support of somebody who had been through it before me really helped a sponsor um, and just the experience, strength and hope of other members sharing just like this. I hope that helped answer your question. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lee? Hi, Debbie. It's good to see you. I am. I'm glad you're here. I wanted to say uh, your share was brilliant and I loved it. So uh, it uh, it was great, great to hear. I've been in recovery from alcohol and drugs for uh, 35 years. Uh, from lust or sex from for 35 years. I've uh, been to lots of Al-Anon meetings, and I've uh, also been in OA for 34 years. And what I find is that lust is the central problem. I lusted after Demerol. I lusted after alcohol. I lusted after... Uh, sexually acting out. I lusted after control of others and I lusted after donuts. Uh, so all of those things are centralized. And I loved your saying about the uh, uh, the quality of lust and why we focused on that, because it's generalizable. And I, too, believe in the steps, the steps, the steps and meetings, meetings, meetings. So I don't have a specific question. I just want to say I really liked what you shared. Another way to share that is that we have multiple dependencies and that we have coexisting dependencies. And some people say that's one of the definitions of codependency. And that's all. Thank you, Lee. Thank Natalie, you. Natalie, uh, Kathy has put a question in chat. She says, I have no privacy, but would just like to say to Debbie, you told so much of my story in so many ways. I had three sponsors and a chaplain in six fellowships, so I had to cut back to AA and SA, but struggle with issues in other areas, which, as you read out, is lust, really, as the white book can say. Thank you for the identification and the honesty. I uh, thank you. I'm uh, Sean. I'm a sexaholic. I'm very grateful to be here today to be sober. And uh, thank you, Debbie, for your your share. Uh, I'm uh, I'm sober not very long in SA. Um, I am in other fellowships as well, um, and I have found it uh, this one to be the most challenging, without any shadow of a doubt. Um, uh, 
you know, there's a line in the big book that I identify with, which is the uh, alcohol has got the symptom. And, um, you know, I've really had to look at myself and take a good look at myself uh, this time around. And um, I haven't got a sponsor in SA. Uh, so I know that that's something I probably will have to address at some point. Um, but one of the things that's always happened with me is I get so far with the steps, which is up to step five, and then I don't really want to go any further. And what my question, I suppose, to you is, um, how have you identified a sponsor that's coerced you, if you like, to go further? Um, because you would appear to have been able to get through all of the steps um, first time around. I don't know whether that was the case, but for me, I've been around for a long, long time, and I really have just started to look at uh, six and seven in another fellowship. But um, the thing is that I've lived in pain. I've not been doing the six and seven. I've not done eight, eight and nine. And I struggle with 10, 11 and 12, obviously. And uh, whilst I'm not um. drinking or taking drugs, I am in pain. And that's my question is, how do I find somebody that's going to take me through? What is it I need to be looking for? Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm fascinated with sponsorship. I think it's an amazing experience, both from the perspective of being a sponsee and getting to sponsor. Um, I I say run with the winners and you know who the winners are. And that's who I want to be my sponsor. The person who's doing the steps, who is not just um, just sitting there, who's doing the steps, working the stem- steps, somebody who is taking sponsors regularly where there's a, a a lot of action and a lot of activity, a lot of tur- not turnaround is in a bad way, but I mean, they're, they're working it, they're doing it. And those are the people that stay sober. Those are the people that I would pick. I had to look around and go, okay, who's got this, who looks like they've got this figured out. They've got sobriety and they're, they're taking actions. And that's how I picked my sponsor in OA. Um, that was a higher power put together because they had, um, we haven't been in face-to-face meetings and I didn't know these people, but God put two people's names in the chat that said they were willing to sponsor. I called the first one that worked out and it's been an amazing experience. God will put it together. You just take the action to, to pick the person and go from there. Hello, Debbie. Thank you for your share today. Uh, I just wanted to ask, was there a particular point in this step work that you found particularly rewarding or challenging? I hate making amends. I hate that step. I hate the buildup of it. But then once I do it, it's an amazing payoff. It is getting my side of the street cleaned. And it's never gone as bad as I've built it up in my head. And thankfully, when I went through it in SA, that experience propelled me that when I went back through it in the other programs, it's like, this isn't going to go bad. So that is an amazing step. I, that's my answer for that. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Um, I just wanted to connect into the meeting and to say thank you, Debbie, so much for your share. It was really meaningful. And I'm in a, a number of programs as well. And so uh, it is really good to hear your your take on that. And I'm just very grateful for this meeting, grateful to be sober. And for all the people doing service, it's a great job. Thanks a million. Thank you. 
I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.